All right. Hello. Yeah. I uh, apparently I overlapped. I called you just before your voicemail. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I was on the when, call when you called me. Oh God, sorry. Uh, the ordering was unfortunate. Right. Anyway, we made it. Yes. And in fact, actually, ordering was one of the things I wanted to talk about. I'll paste our chat into the show notes, but you know. Uh, yeah. Following on our conversation, the thing that I was wrestling with personally was, uh, I think I shared that I had this insight that I had this, uh, one reason I get frustrated and resentful is that I'm unwilling to incarnate into other people's dysfunction. Uh, in that I want is that when I end up being enmeshed in the systems of other people's messiness, uh, that's extraordinarily painful and frustrating and self uh, corrupting even. And so I want to avoid those situations. But so we're looking on it, uh, this is the dimension of, like ideally my preferred option is I want to fix or heal other people so that I feel safe identifying with them. But I wonder if God's perspective is that I need to first identify with people in their brokenness, which can only, which is vulnerable and painful, but in some sense it should be safe if I am in Christ, whatever that means. And that that is how God ultimately heals and fixes our brokenness together. Um, and then you had a few thoughts, which I thought were very interesting. You know, if you want to just read your text, or if you want to summarize some of the points that you were wrestling with. Yeah, all right, you're you're piling up too much for me to digest at once, and so I'm starting to lose pieces. I was trying to remember the opening statement you made about uh, not incarnating. You have a you resist incarnating. There was a specific word I think. I, I am I am unwilling to incarnate. Unwilling. Okay, so other I want people's dysfunction and brokenness. I have a, I have a question about that if we're not uh, getting too far. Sure, what, whatever your questions are is fine. Okay, so you, when you state it as unwilling, it suggests to me that you're aware of making a decision not to incarnate. That, that first, there, first, there's a recognition that incarnating is an option in how to respond and that you're consciously choosing not to. Is that what you're meaning to describe? Uh, uh, no, that's a really good, subtle point that's worth calling out, which is that the the thing that I experience is a belief that other people are acting irrationally or in okay, self-destructive yeah. ways. That is my conscious perception. It's like, what is wrong with these people? Um, and, you know, it's perceived as sort of an intellectual assessment. And then right. it goes to a layer of, Actually, okay, the fact that these thoughts are stuck in my head implies I'm having an emotional reaction. Uh, uh-huh. That's, you know, when I get stuck in a cognitive loop, I, I take that as a, as a signal that there's an emotional issue at stake. The emotion that I uh, infer and, and eventually feel is frustration and anger uh-huh. at, you know, other people's irresponsibility, for example. And then the insight, if you will, is that the reason I feel anger is because I feel like a boundary has been crossed 
something that I consider an appropriate and healthy part of my role, or at least a necessary part of my role has been violated. That's why I feel angry. And then the way that I frame that is in the comment that I shared at the beginning in the text that what I really, you know, what I sort of the normal expectation, right, uh -huh. is that we have clear rules and clear boundaries. And, you know, if people break them, I would like to just tell them, hey, stop doing that and, and fix the problem, uh, fix their problem so they feel safe identifying with them. It's like, hey, if we're going to work together on this project, I really need you to do X. And if you can't do X, well, then you need to fix that before I can work with you. Is kind of the implication. It's a, yeah, and that the alternative. Go ahead. And that's that's well, the normal mode, and that's contrasted with the exceptional mode. Is uh, rather than seeing the brokenness as, as their problem that I, I want them to fix, or I want God to fix, or whatever, I see it as our problem, uh, and I have to identify with them, incarnate into that situation, and recognize I'm part of, I am inside the system with them, and we are both broken. And we need God to heal us. Okay. I, I think we've uh, slowed down enough that I'm tracking mostly. Um, so it, it seems like the common experience that many people have is feeling annoyance with somebody else. Uh, and you go through an additional <laughs> layer. Of, you uh, get into a cognitive loop that helps you recognize the, that you're feeling annoyed or angry. Or right. I, I would say being annoyed is the common experience. Feeling it is slightly, is somewhat less common than actually ah. being annoyed. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. Being annoyed. And the common response to being annoyed is to uh, desire uh, and perhaps in many cases push for the other person to change to remove the uh, the stimulus for my annoyance which to me is the outworking of the proverb that says, a fool shows their annoyance at once, but a wise man overlooks an offense. Okay. Okay, so we're tracking so far. And then, right. then, we, go, then we go on to the alternative, which is um, to see it not as something they need to change so that I'm not offended or, or I'm sorry, not, not annoyed, but as something that we work on together, and that's where I'm not sure I tracked uh, fully with you in terms of my fully grasping what you mean by incarnating uh, Christ mm -hmm. in the context. All right. So you want to pick up from there? Uh, yeah, I could. Or we could just put a pin in that and focus on your questions to see if I can understand where you're coming from and what you were hungry. Your choice. Um, very well. I'm happy to, uh, um, yeah, I, I was just in the, sitting down actually to write a note to Jackie to follow up yesterday. She took initiative to say, this is why, I mean, this, I'll explain this. Um, so, uh, my, so she, her, she took initiative to say that my lack of initiative around home to um, deal with certain things contributes to her 
sense that I care about my mission work more than I care about the family or that I don't care about the family or that gets expressed in various ways. But, um, yes. so, um, and I, I, I described yesterday this, uh, farm situation where they have interns coming and not staying when they would like them to stay. And the interns initially came expecting to stay, um, and trying to sort through what are what factors contribute to that, uh, and I I felt like the there's or I perceive that there's a common uh, that my own family not feeling cared about uh, has overlapping um, um, connections or or similarities yeah. with uh, the interns on the farm, and this balance of where there's a, a purpose and a mission, how to balance that with care for the members. So that's the context I'm thinking about. Now, if you want to go ahead Which and go is back very read... apt for Father's Day. <laughs> right? yeah, this right. is the father's that's... dilemma. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, I haven't proposed things. Well, I did propose some things, but it, there's, there's also, you know, kind of a conditioned, um, in, my, in my experience, there's a conditioned rejection of things that I suggest and then a forgetfulness about things I suggest um, uh, that have that play into these dynamics. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this is good. So this is um, okay. For lack, uh, I'm going to abstract further to try to explain the problem with abstraction, which may be uh, may backfire yeah. horribly, but I'm going to give it a shot. Right. All right. Um, sure. Right. So, uh, did you ever see the original Matrix movie? Yeah, we we actually got our adult daughters mid twenties to watch the whole series with us recently. Right. Okay. Great. So cool. So the very first one, I only watched the first one. I've read about the other ones, but the interesting thing uh, is right that idea is that he is that Neo is a character who is bored in the Matrix, has lived his whole life in the Matrix. He doesn't even realize that there's another alternate reality. He just this right. is reality, and then yep. when he takes the red pill. He pops out. Spoiler alert. Uh, then, but in order to actually confront the system, he has to jack back in to a world where all of his sensations and experiences are immersed in this computer-generated matrix. Yep. And, and, but at the end, he gets this sort of superpower where he can sort of both experience the matrix as sort of a lived incarnational reality but also comprehend it as a simulation and he can see the underlying code, if you will, that generates the matrix. Right. Right. And the idea is um, that, and I think there was something you said that um, triggered me mildly, which I think gets uh -huh. to this, uh, this phrase is the question you said that you were interested in is, Jesus, how do I go closer to you in such a way that your spirit most deeply shapes what I want and what I pursue? Okay. Yep. And, and what struck me about that phrase was spirit as opposed to saying your word or your body. Uh-huh. And this idea of the incarnate word uh, being... Um, foundational 
to how to grow closer to Jesus. It's something that I heard um, Gordon Fee's daughter talk about. Uh, it was a very amusing story she tells about her fiance uh, making a comment about you know, can't about w- can't waiting to uh, have physical intimacy with her, and she got deeply offended because she said, "Hey, I am not my body," and he was like, mm. "What?" And, and and she called up her dad and, and he, to straighten him out, and she said, "Okay," it, but he actually wanted to talk to her. He said, "Like, when did you become a gnostic? A gnostic, G N O S T I C. Like, when did you start yeah. thinking that?" Your true self is your spirit, and your body is an accident or corrupted or less valuable than your spirit or less intrinsic. And that led her on this like 10 year quest to like discover what it is. He says, like, I think you need to get saved. (laughs) Like, you know, she was, you know, you know, working in ministry, moving in the spirit, having all these miracles and spiritual experiences. But she had yeah. never really confronted the incarnation of Christ. Uh-huh. And so that is the, the uh, I guess, the, the wonder. Yeah. Uh, is well, where I like, are you at? I, I like, expand, I like uh, expanding what I wrote to include the body and the word. Um, mm. it, was not, it was not a conscious rejection of the other two it just reflects my um continuing dwelling and uh ruminating on as many as are led by the spirit of god those are the sons of god out of romans 8 right like that is an important dimension of this yeah and not exclusive right it's not exclusive it's just it's artifact of the fact that that's where my mind is at the moment Right, and you know the the well, and what's interesting is like the, the your last sentence in the text was, you know, uh, the contrast you made there, which I thought fascinating, was you said my focus uh-huh. tends to then be on how I can pursue what I imagine he wants, and you sort of I think framed that as the failure mode. Right. Uh, right. But then you said this overlooks the reality that the first thing he wants from me is intimacy with is intimacy with me. Right. I think that that is possibly true and possibly misleading. Okay. Uh, Right. And I think there's a subtlety here that language may not express well, but I I Uh can tell you my experience of this is that there is this um, trilemma uh, I face, uh, which is, is my obligation to just be close to Jesus, and notice the word just, right? Uh, You know, in which case, you know, uh, like, you know, it's because that's where my friends in the monastic movement place priority. Like, the most important thing is to remove distractions so I can be intimate with Jesus, right? That's one one kind of monasticism. There are also monasticisms that involve engagement with the key. Sure, yeah, so this, these are the hardcore Tramaldoli, Benedictine, monastics. Yeah, I think they call that the hermetic side of the monastic tradition. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah, okay, sure. Um, uh, the, uh, so, yeah, so, uh, you know, hermetism, I guess you want to be more technical about it. Um, uh, and, you know, and they try to live with that intention with 
uh, you know, part of the monastic movement growing out of the Desert Fathers and the Hermetic tradition was this tension between the um, solitary experience of intimacy right. with God and the communal experience of living together. Um, but the interesting, um, so that's one framing is that, okay, God, this is where I have this triple entendre on what does it mean to grow closer to Jesus, right? So one dimension of that is relationally growing closer to him. A, another right. dimension of that is uh, forming his character within us. Uh -huh. um, and then a third dimension that is, is having his impact in the world, right? Doing his, uh, having, you know, in love with him, having his likeness, and then living out his kingdom. And right. for me, I see them as this sort of three-stranded rope. And like where you start is less important than the fact that all three are braided together. And if you prioritize uh -huh. one too much over the other two, it actually leads to a much more fragile situation. And like, and I think that's the, um, that was the wonder review. I had when I read. Yeah, we need to review what all three are because I didn't absorb them. And I'm thinking about um, uh, what you talked about, Fee's daughter. Uh, yeah. And um, the, the idea, the question, wonder popped into my mind. So how do I, uh, in my body, uh, grow in intimacy with Jesus? And uh, the thought that came was um, his body is the community of believers. Yeah. And that, yeah. that engagement is important. But there is also a thought, uh, as we talked about, the hermetic, uh, or at least that's the way I remember the word, um, yeah. uh, hermetic, hermetically sealed. Uh, from that kind of <laughs> union with Christ to uh, also not just uh, fellowship with others in Christ's body, but also engagement with the world as an important uh, part of where we go with Jesus, right? Right. So you, yeah, you had a trifecta yeah. or three, threesome, but I, I'm not sure if it relates to what I was thinking about on my own. Yeah, and I may have so gone I, off on a tangent, so but I feel let's try and bring it back down to Gordon Fee's daughter because I think that's important. Uh -huh. Is that okay? You know, if she had this idea that her her spirit and communion with Jesus was like the most important thing and perhaps even the only important thing. Right. Right. Okay. And because of that, oddly enough, she never really. Uh, I don't know if this is strongly uh, causal, but it was certainly correlated for her is that she always felt like Jesus was cheating. That Jesus oh. was, uh, in the cliche of a spiritual being, having a sort of temporary transient uh, human experience. And so like when he was facing temptation or on the cross or whatever, that he wasn't fully present in those moments with all the insecurities and angst and pain that we feel as human beings. He was sort okay. of playing on God mode, if you will. Uh, you know, in video games, you have God mode where you have infinite life and infinite hit points and can, you know, arbitrary weapons. And therefore, yeah, okay. you know, there's an appearance of vulnerability, but it's actually uh -huh. an illusion. The reality is that you are transcendent and not affected by these things. Uh, 
uh, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. uh, and when you talk about how like the things that you say and do to your family bounce off, it's you know where people where people don't hear things you say or they forget things you say. It was like, well, yeah, that's kind of what the, this model predicts. Is if you're perceived as operating from a frame of reference that's transcendent rather than incarnate, then they, um, you know, like 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 when I go off on a tangent that isn't relevant to your situation, there's no uh, place in your brain to take the information because it is literally irrelevant to you. It is right. almost mean is is quite possibly meaningless, uh, yeah. right? Because meaning and, and this idea that meaning is embedded within systems. Uh-huh. Like, you know, uh, like one of the real turning points with my boss when I was talking about trying to, like, set aside, you know, the urgent financial pressures, you know, from customers and all the anxiety around our startup, uh, you know, uh, based on this process we were trying to follow. He goes, well, the people who wrote that process, you know, they have a successful multi-billion dollar business. They don't know what it feels like to, like, have bet your future on you know, a fragile startup. I said, yes, I know that they don't, but I do. Like once he saw that I was in a situation that, and this idea of identification, right? That, yeah. you know, that A, that I identify with him, but B, yeah. and perhaps even more importantly, that he identifies that I've identified with him, right? He sees me seeing him. Right. Um, and then I the phrase I use is sees me seeing him with Christ's eyes. Right. So I see that. I see the pain. I see the fear. I see the shame. Um, but then I don't see that with a judgment or condemnation that pushes him away. Or, right. or even yeah. a position of superiority. It's like, yeah. well, clearly, if you were just like me, you wouldn't have this problem. Right. But it's like, no, hey, like this is the part of me that uh, uh, is... Uh, that needs redemption just as much as he does, as a part of him that uh -huh. does. That's probably more precisely right. It's like the reason we have these annoyances is because there are unredeemed parts, and the the challenge, the opportunity, is like people have to see us seeing them, and and see that they can identify with us, and that Christ is present in this, this very specific thing that they don't know how to deal with. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I mean. Right, so the like, parallel for me to be, for Jackie to see me seeing her um, with an empathy that reflects Christ rather than trying to argue her out of the feelings that she has because I, my in my brokenness I elevate that uh, um, uh, what is it uh, this uh, I don't know a lack of emotion to uh, yeah. a higher spirit state rather than uh, uh, with the brokenness that it is right right and this is the paradigmaticness of Christ right is that Christ you know first he left glory and became humbled as you know, as a man as a baby in Jerusalem right he lost that perfect communion with his father. Right. right, in order to experience life as a man, and then on the cross, in some sense, whatever that means, uh, you know, somewhere between Gethsemane and the cross, there was an even deeper break where he had to confront, right. you know, the gap between his will and his father's, the sense of being abandoned, whatever. Like, and yeah. so, in that sense, like, yes, at one level, there is this 
intimacy is important, but at another level, the desire for intimacy or the primacy of intimacy can actually interfere with the other two strands, which is this uh, Trinitarian intimacy that Jesus really wants from us and for us. Well, I, I would think that um, the exclusivity uh, of focusing on, on the, the desire is what becomes problematic, not the strength of the desire itself. No, it's and, not the strength. It's the relative primacy. Yeah, yeah. I, and I the idea is that the, if, if it, yeah, it's like three-phase uh, alternating current systems. It, it, uh -huh. Like there's these like there's different points in time where each phase is primal. And yeah, yep. if you uh, if you skip that, then your 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 motor doesn't spin. <laughs> you know, right. it lurches forward and then it gets stuck. <laughs> Uh, and it may right. just wobble back and forth and not actually make forward progress. Right. All right. I kind of need to wrap it up. Any closing thoughts? Uh, no, no. I think that's uh, been helpful. I'll can get back to my what I was composing the jackets with this additional. Yeah. No, well, happy Father's Day. And you know, this Thank for me is, a, is, is it feels very on topic, and in, in that I feel like there's something here deep about my own understanding and practice of fathering uh, and, and particularly what is, what is Christ-like fathering as opposed yeah. to say mosaic fathering, which is just based on the law, which is important. If you don't have mosaic fathering, if you don't have a law, you don't have an ecosystem or a system, you know, that exists where you can even have these conversations. So anyway, God bless you. Happy you, Father's Day. Talk to you soon. When you, when you said mosaic, I thought you were referring to the art form rather than Moses. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair point. Let's I'm, see, I'm me... not sure myself. Okay. Please pray. Yeah. All right. Jesus, yeah. thank you for uh, your presence in our lives, for your word, your body, and your spirit, and help us to uh, uh, connect with you and what you desire to be the, and what you want us to be, particularly as we... Uh, I, uh, seek to be fathers or seek to be to be able to bless our families uh, and uh, how we do that that it might be led and informed by your spirit and communion with uh, you and your word and your body in Jesus name Amen Amen All Thank right. you so much Robbie God bless you Bye bye